Welcome to Garden Success with Skip Richter, the show designed to help you have a bountiful garden and a beautiful landscape. Call in now with your lawn and garden questions at 979-845-5689 or email your questions to gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And now, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist, Skip Richter. Well, hello and welcome to Garden Success. We are glad you're listening today, and I just want to remind you, we're a call-in show, so you may want to call in. Here comes a number and an email if you would like to email me. i got a lot of emails to talk about today. Uh, the thing I like about emails is uh, you can send a picture, and thank you for people who send focused pictures. <laughs> Sometimes people hold something up, and the camera focuses on the yard in the background rather than the leaf they're holding up, and it's a little hard to tell what it is. Uh, so I, I like to say my answers are only as good as your photos, so we'll, tr we'll try it that way. But if you would like to call, it's 979-845-5689, 845-5689, area code for those of you out of the area. And if you want to email me, it's gardensuccess at tamu dot edu garden success at tamu dot edu well let's just start off going here on the radio i mean on the uh, emails the first email that i want to talk about uh, roger emails about a young red oak uh, he planted a couple of them they're very young and one of them died the other one is not looking so great it's kind of a chartreuse green rather than a uh, deep emerald green uh, that can be a couple of things. If it hasn't been in the ground a long time, it could be due to the fact that it just doesn't have a root system that's a very extensive yet. And oftentimes we see some nutrient deficiencies because your yard is full of nutrients, but in order to mine those for the benefit of the plant, you got to have a good root system that's robust and that's reaching out in all directions. So often with a new plant, we'll see that. Another reason we see it sometimes is because of too much water. When you overdo the watering and the roots become waterlogged, think of it as swampy around the roots, then the plant struggles because roots need oxygen to survive. That's kind of surprising in a way because you think about roots being underground. Why would, how would they get oxygen? Well, there's quite a bit of oxygen in the soil. And if you waterlog it, you drive all that out. And it's kind of like when you overwater your house plants and they start to wilt and you're thinking, I've got a wilt it needs water I water more it stays wilted for the same reason and eventually it will kill the roots and then root rots get in and that's pretty much the end of the plant so I would watch the watering around this red oak Roger I don't know that it's been overwatered. it could be the previous reason that I mentioned one thing I would suggest is straightening the tree up the trees often come to us a little leaned or maybe the prevailing wind leans them and when they're young like this you can put a post in on the side away from the lean and bring the trunk upright uh, and just you figure out how you need to do that but once you have the trunk upright leave it for a while that way and the tree will kind of stiffen in that position and you don't have to keep a something tied to it the whole life of the tree for sure just for maybe a year something like that and that way you can prune away any competing leaders uh, two branches that both think they're the central trunk uh, and uh, you take away one or the other. And the earlier you make that decision, the better it is. So hopefully that will help. You may also want to put a little bit of extra fertilizer around that tree. You can use a slow release granule around the tree or if you would like, you could also just continue to use a liquid feed. I think you were using some liquid feeds already on it according to your email. 
but something slow and gradual. I can't see the base of the tree. If the grass is growing up to the base, uh, you want to remove that. And anyone who's planting a tree, I encourage you to uh, make sure and remove the grass around it. If you were to interview a tree, it would say, I want to not see grass from here to the horizon and because grass competes for water and nutrients and when you have grass around me you bring the lawnmower to get that last grass blade and then that tender young trunk gets nicked and after that cankers come in and it's just a lot of problems. I know we feel like we can mow and string trim around a tree without getting it but it, eventually you're gonna make a mistake and then that tree has some big problems. So anyway, I would get a mulched area as wide as you can stand to look at. If you can go as wide as the branch spread of the tree, that would be great, especially when it's young. Uh, it creates that forest floor environment. Put a lot of mulch on it, put some compost around it, and I think you're going to see a lot better results. I saw one time when I was in horticulture, I saw a picture of a field where they planted pecans, and it was in a Bermuda grass field. And they killed the Bermuda grass in half the field, and they didn't kill it. They just mowed it in the other half, and then they planted pecans through the field. And I don't remember how many years it was, five years, maybe a few more. Uh, the plants that were in the Bermuda grass that had been treated the same were literally like a third the size of the plants that were growing with absolutely no competition in a field that was kept weed-free. So we can take that to heart when we're planting things in our yard. When you plant a big shade tree, or first of all, when you plant it, it's a little shade tree, but you want it to be big enough to hang a hammock in as soon as possible. So do everything you can to get it to grow fast. And part of that is don't compete with grass. So kind of beating that horse to death, but uh, I see it all the time, and I know that you want to have success with your trees. Our phone number is 979-845-5689. If you would like to uh, send an email, it's gardensuccess at tamu.edu. You know, it's funny how I can say an email and a phone number 800,000 times over what now? Five, six years? And then it's like, I can't remember what that number is. Well, anyway, I want to go to an email from Emily. And Emily has a bug in the garden. Um, and this is a leaf-footed bug. Now, the leaf-footed bug is part of the stink bug group of bugs. Uh, they put their mouth part in your plants, and they spit caustic spit. Isn't that appetizing? Let's make it more appetizing. It's the lunch hour, so here we go. Uh, they do that to your tomatoes, and they spit in the tomato, and it causes the cells to dissolve, and then they can slurp up the contents of that dissolved tomato spit spot. And then they move over and they do it again. They drill their mouth or push their mouth into the tomato and spit. So when you have a tomato and it has those little hard yellow spots, that's what's been happening there. And so ne next time you're having a garden party and you're sharing your homegrown tomatoes, you just might want to point that out to the guests. See the little yellow spots on the tomato on your plate? Uh, they will be so impressed with your knowledge <laughs> as they throw the tomato like a Frisbee across the garden. Uh, no, seriously, it, they they become less palatable to eat, but uh, it's no, no problem. But those bugs are a problem. So what do we do? Well, once the insects reach a stage where they have wings, that's the adult stage of stink bugs and leaf-footed bugs, they can fly all over the place. And chasing them around with sprays is just a, a losing effort, in my opinion. And most people that are growing things to eat, they would rather not spray so much. 
Uh, I think that uh, Emily even has uh, little ones involved in the gardening effort and definitely wants to avoid spraying. So stink bugs and leaf-footed bugs are hard to kill, and it takes a more um, potent spray to be able to do that. What I would recommend is a one of a couple of things. You can, uh, first of all, learn what their eggs look like. You can go online to a search engine and find out. And when you know what their eggs look like, then you can check your tomato. Maybe, unless you have a, you know, 500 tomato plants, I mean, just a few in a garden, you just check over them and look for the eggs. They're very distinct, very easy to spot. And when you see those, you just clip out that uh, leaf petiole and throw it away. Uh, or when they hatch out, they're little spidery reddish orange and black critters that uh, long-legged critters are crawling around and they tend to stay in a herd. The good bugs tend to disperse, the bad bugs stay in a herd uh, when they're young. And at that stage, you could put a a pail of soapy water under and swat it with your hand and knock them all in it, not have to spray at all. Uh, so I, I think that's probably the best way to deal with these bugs. You're still going to have some. Some people use the little organza bags uh, over the tomatoes if it's a large fruited tomato. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with those, but they're little, it's a little fabric that is like a mesh, but it's so tight that nothing can crawl through it. And they make little drawstring bags. So maybe like if you're having a wedding and you want to put a favors, bridesmaid favors or stuff like that in a bag, that's the kind of thing they often get used for. But you can put those, buy one that's about four by six in size and slip it over your tomato, pull the drawstring and you're done. That also helps keep birds away too, by the way. So if you're trying to deal with these bugs and, and deal with your tomatoes, that's something that you're probably going to have to deal with. Uh, I'm going to go back to the email again, and uh, John sends in a picture of a crinkled oak leaf. And it's, it's uh, the new growth on the oak is coming out, and it's very, uh, it's like it's all bunched together, but the leaves are crinkled. They don't look quite right. And John, that is going to be one of two things. Either a hormone-type herbicide was used in the lawn, because I see the lawn all around the tree, uh, and it affected the tree in a very minor way, which the tree will grow out of in this case. Or it's some other kind of a disease thing, like a mycoplasma that gets in and causes distorted growth. It affects the growth points, uh, which is up in the top of the tree. So the old leaves keep looking normal, but the new growth comes out weird. Uh, it's one of the two. If it's a mycoplasma, you're not going to spray for it. There's nothing to do. I would just prune that out of the tree. Or if you think it could have been a hormone herbicide damage, then just let it keep growing. It'll straighten up and it'll be fine. I'm not sure if that's a post oak or a bur oak. I'm, I'm leaning toward it being a bur oak, but yeah, maybe I can't tell at this stage. I'm not able to discern the difference on them. But that either, either way, uh, you just want to, uh, there's no spray to deal with it. Just be aware of when you use herbicides in your lawn, it can have, pro we can cause problems. And let me just talk about that a while because everybody wants a lawn that is uh, empty of weeds, that, that is just beautiful grass. It looks like an outdoor carpet and, you know, it's just perfect. Well, perfect lawns come at a cost, uh, literally a cost because you have to buy the products it takes to have a perfect lawn. Uh, but also sometimes there's a cost to the other plants in your landscape. And here's how that works. The things that kill broadleaf weeds in your lawn kill broadleaf plants. We call them weeds because we don't like them. But uh, anything can be a weed if it's growing in the spot where you don't want it, right? So, I mean, if you had a bunch of corn plants coming up in your flower bed, they would be weeds. 
because you're wanting to grow flowers there. So it's our opinion. Weed is an our opinion word, in my opinion. <laughs> so uh, when you spray broadleaf products, they kill broadleaf plants. So if you've got pansies or petunias in a flower bed, they're going to affect them. If they, if they happen to get on some tomatoes or green beans, they're going to affect that. And in the case of trees, they can affect them as well. Uh, we have a bad habit in gardening of thinking that if a teaspoon's good, a tablespoon's better. But you need to read the label and follow it because it matters. We have a number of excellent broadleaf weed control products in lawns that we um, can use. But if you overapply them and then get a rain that washes them down in the soil, well, then that is going to absolutely affect that tree and can cause significant damage. So think about it this way. If you're selling a product to kill weeds, wouldn't you want people to use a lot of product, right? Because then you sell more. Well, if they say on the label to use X amount, you know that that is the best amount to use because if more was better, they would tell you that. But they know that more can damage plants. They know that more may not improve the effect at all. And so follow the label real carefully. I see so many examples through each year as a county AgriLife Extension agent of people that you know, over apply. Again, I'm, I'm going to kill it deader, the kill that bug deader than dead. I'm going to, I'm going to double up on the weed control to really kill the weeds. And, and that's just not a good idea. Well, we're going to pause a minute uh, and take a phone call. Our number is 7979-845-5689. And we are going to talk to John. Hello, John. How are you today? Good afternoon. I'm doing great. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with Camp Creek Lake. Right now, is just overrun with hydrilla. Oh boy. Okay. And of course, uh, from time to time, uh, we, we try to harvest some of that just to clear out around the boat docks and whatnot. Mary wants to know if 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 she can use that hydrilla that we were harvesting for mulch. You could, uh, you know, just think about how thick you put it. If it's fresh and soppy, wet and green and everything, you wouldn't want it to, you know, kind of start to stink. Like if you've ever seen grass clippings in a bag out at curbside on a hot day, uh, you can get quite an odor coming out of that bag, uh, you know, as they decompose. <laughs> so just use it thick enough to be a mulch. And as it dries out, you can put more down. That would be just fine. You put it in a compost pile. It's, it's green and uh, green materials. The nitrogen is needed to offset the carbon of other materials in a compost pile. It, uh, when it dries, it, it almost disappears. It gets really, I mean, it really gets a lot less material than you start with. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's the case. That, that is definitely the case, but yeah, I think you can, if you have access to a way to get it to the garden, you're certainly welcome to use it. Well, she has a way with me. Oh, okay. I, <laughs> I I see. I know how that works, by the way, John. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I live in a house like that. I used to joke with people that uh, got their wife to do their gardening for them. And, you know, believe it or not, that happens too. Not at my house, but it happens. Uh, we call that German gardening because it's growing vegetables by the sweat of your frau. Uh, yeah. <laughs> how was that for a bad joke today? Can we get soundtracks of like or something? Maybe canned laughter? Okay. That's, that's pretty sad. <laughs> I know. Okay, that's well, well, it's my you. best I'll, I can I'll, do. I'll tell her, I'll tell her to, that she can use it lightly. That'll save me some work, too. <laughs> 
Yes. Well, actually, it'll just mean you're going out more often to get it. Well, I guess you're right. <laughs> okay. Thanks a lot. Okay. For, thanks for the call, right. John. I appreciate that. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Our phone number is 979-845-5689 or by email gardensuccess at tamu dot edu garden success at tamu dot edu by the way if you have a pond or, or you know maybe a reservoir on your property that you're dealing with aquatic weeds and things in a&m has a great website agrilife extension and it's really easy to remember it's aqua plant as an aquatic aqua plant dot tamu dot edu and you can see all the common weeds for identifying help. Uh, you can find out how do you spray, where do you spray, what do you spray with, when do you spray, uh, if you're trying to get rid of those weeds. And so it's just a really, really robust website with lots of good information on it. Well, let's go back to the phones now, and we are going to talk with Brian. Hello, Brian. Hey, Skip. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Uh, I don't know if you received my email from last week from the... Uh, a&M lab summary that you suggested I take some of my um, uh, problem lawn and, yes. and soil. Yes. So mm -hmm. what's your recommendations? I've got a couple questions on this take-all patch they say I have. Um, they mentioned something about uh, daconil or something uh, for a fungicide. Is that the way to go, or uh, uh, if they mention daconil, I saw your your uh, um, diagnostic sheet. That must be for a different fungus. I think there was another one in here uh, that uh, yeah, they have you had nigrospora uh, okay. show up on, and that yes. would be that would be a daconil recommendation for the take all root rot. You're going to need to use something, and my my suggestion would be to use something that contains azoxystrobin. That was a long word, but if you got a pen or pencil handy. It's A X O Z Y, and then -O -Z -Y. Uh, and then strobin like you would expect to spell strobin. Okay. Uh, and and oxystrobin. So take all of root rot fungus primarily is attacking in the fall and spring seasons, uh, and so I would not think you're going to get a lot of benefit now from it from spraying it. Uh, so I would probably hold off and do the treatment in the fall. Uh, that some of the fungicides can have a growth regulating effect on your grass and if your grass is struggling we don't want to add another factor into that especially when we're not at a time where the spray is going to do a whole lot of good so i would probably try to just do the things that keep grass healthy make sure it gets adequate water but not too much water but a good soaking on an infrequent basis fertilize moderately over time not too much at any one time uh, those kinds of things in the meantime. And I know you ask about uh, filling some holes, and filling holes is just fine at any time of the year. Summer is a good time because if the grass is going to grow, it covers over fast. Uh, whereas in the wintertime, you just are left with that dirt-filled hole until the grass starts to grow again. Yeah, and they mentioned that in the uh, lab summary, too, about either uh, a high-quality compost or sphagnum peat moss. you have any choice there? I would go with the peat moss. Um, there were two studies, one in Dallas, one down in Carnes County, southeast of San Antonio, by AgriLife Extension, where they looked at peat moss versus take all root rot, and they it proved to be pretty effective. One of them, they put in an iron product with the peat moss. Uh, I think that probably helped, too, because take all kills roots, and without roots, 
plants can take up iron, they need a little help with that. So I would do the peat. It takes about one of those large compressed bales. I think they say 3.8 cubic feet on the bale. Uh, it takes one of those bales uh, or two per thousand square feet. So you can kind of figure based on that. And okay. you would have to go someplace that could order those bales for you. They're not sold just everywhere. Uh, but when I say a bale, it just picture, if you've ever bought coffee in those little vacuum uh, shrunken bricks, do you know what I'm talking about? The little, right, yeah. Right. Well, that's kind of what they do to peat moss. They they pack it in real tight and they wrap it in plastic and it's a bale look. It looks like a hay bale shaped uh, bag, but it's very hard because it's all packed in tight. And uh, one of those bags is uh, 3.8 cubic feet and, and one or two of those per thousand. And then after you put it out, water it in. But okay. it, but again, because the take all infection is not active as much in the summer, you may want to wait to fall for that. If you were going to use the spray and the, the peat, I would probably do the spray uh, probably about uh, maybe early October uh, to mid-October, somewhere in there. And then yeah. I would follow that with the peat moss. You don't want the peat moss in the way of you trying to spray the grass. So one big question, if I could uh, finalize this. I've got a big family wedding coming over to my house in August. So can I not put the peat moss down between now and August? You can put it give down. It back, you can put it down. It and a bunch of families coming over. Yeah, you have a dilemma. I do. A big <laughs> because time one. weddings and are high tension times. Including grandsons that are going to run out on that lawn and fall in those holes. Well, so I, I, would fill the, I would fill the holes immediately. That, there's no question about that. Uh, as far as the place looking good for a wedding, uh, I've been through several weddings myself, and I can tell you they are stressful, high-tension, high joyous times, <laughs> and you want everything perfect uh, until humans get involved, and then it gets yeah. interesting. <laughs> so, Fortunately, the wedding's not going to be in the, uh, at the house. It's just a lot of family members oh, okay. coming over uh, to... to yeah, yeah. That's there's no good. way I'd have it, a, a wedding at the house. Oh, that's good, because I was just about yeah. to give you a phone number for a place that sells AstroTurf. And, yeah, 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 that's probably about <laughs> what I'd need. <laughs> okay, yeah, I would do the fill the holes now. You can do peat now. It won't hurt, but it may just not accomplish much. But you can do the peat, as we talked about before now. Uh, if you will email me at my AgriLife Extension email or just contact the county extension office, I can send you a sheet with more information on how to go about the peat if you want. Yes. Uh, so we'd be yes, happy definitely. happy to do that. Yeah. And none of the dirt yards carry peat moss like that. Not a dirt yard. You you would. No. Yeah you you would find out in a place like Producers Co-op that carries a lot of everything up in North Bryan. Uh, you might find it at some other places that have garden centers around town occasionally, but. Um, yeah, I would just just go by producers. If they can't, if they don't have it, they can find it. They can order Great. it for you. Great. Yeah. All right. I appreciate all your help as usual. Yeah. Let's one one quick last comment. I think you also asked me about chinch bugs, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I get them every every year. I wanted to talk about those because uh, a lot of people will have that kind of question. Uh, chinch bugs. We typically have a spring generation that's small, so you see some, but they're not doing massive damage. Uh, early summer may be a better way to put it. And then in the fall, in the late summer and fall is when chinch bugs have their big infestation. And uh, if 
you're wondering how to know if it's chinch bugs, we get on your hands and knees and, and part the grass and see what they look like. You can find pictures online. Uh, AgriLife Extension has a good chinch bug publication. If you go to agrilifelearn.tamu.edu, agrilifelearn.tamu.edu, you can type in pretty much anything, and if there's a publication on it, it'll pop up. And just the standard publications are all free. You can download them. All right. So I would I would do that. Uh, I would just watch what if it's chinch bugs. It almost always is going to start in hot weather against a driveway or a sidewalk or a curb or some other masonry structure. You don't right. just see chinch bugs pop up in the shade somewhere. Uh, sure. That's the first you see of them. So, uh, and yeah. the grass looks like it needs to be watered. It's just sort of shriveling up like it's drought stricken, and it's because those bugs, like the leaf-footed bug I was talking about earlier, they're sucking the juices out of the grass plant, and they just essentially drain it dry, and then the toxins they put out don't help any. Well, I'll check out agrilifelearn.tamu.edu. All right, sir. Good luck with it. good luck Thank with the lawn, and, and have a great time at the wedding. We will. It'll be million degrees Fahrenheit, but in, we will. In moderation, of course, right? <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. As a father, as a bride, I have to have moderation. Oh, my gosh. Bless you. <laughs> I've been Thanks. there. I've been Thanks. there. Thank you. Right. appreciate the call. Take, take, take care, Skip. Okay. Bye -bye. I turned a horticultural call into a mess. I mean, that was <laughs> – sorry about that. Our phone number, 979-845-5689, or by email at gardensuccess at tamu.edu, gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Uh, let's see, I had an email come in from Scott on figs, uh, and actually Scott's calling from Northwest Houston down in Jersey Village. By the way, Scott, did you know I, I lived in uh, Cyprus for a while, and uh, I did not know why Jersey Village was called Jersey Village. I also didn't know why Derry Ashford is called Derry Ashford. Am I, am I starting to give you a hint? Uh, that used to be a huge dairy country until Houston grew and enveloped it and the land became houses. But if you're ever curious or you need to win a bet, that's why Jersey Village and Derry Ashford Street and those things have dairy names. Scott's looking for figs. He's got some figs and uh, specifically planted an LSU purple. That is a good fig. Uh, LSU purple. There's also an LSU gold. That's a good fig. My favorite fig is Celeste, S-C-E-L-E-S-T-E, -E -E, like a uh, lady's name. And uh, Celeste is an excellent fig that does well here. I think you got a rooting of one called Chicago Hardy, Hardy and that's out there, especially when you get online. Uh, it's supposed to be hardier. It's actually a smaller statured fig plant. I have not, the question was, how does it do? I have not grown it myself, and I haven't seen any reports on it in terms of production. I have two huge questions. Number one, would the eye on the end of the fig be open or closed? Figs have this little belly button on the end, and that, if it's open and bugs can crawl in it, they will, and the fig will sour, and it then starts leaking this sour fluid, and more wasps gather around it. It's like a little wasp beer joint. It's fermented sugars coming out of there. Uh, so you don't want uh, to have one that has an open eye on it. Some of them have a tightly closed eye. Some have a drop of resin in the eye that seals it. Check on Chicago Hardy. I can't do that while I talk to you, but uh, you can go online and look into that. And uh, that would be my number one concern. My second concern is we've got figs that we know do well here. Why not just plant those 
primarily. But if you want to try one as an experiment, I think it's a great idea to do. Hopefully that will help with that. Our phone number is 979-845-5689, 845-5689, or by email at gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And I got a picture from John of a little beetle. And John, number one, thanks that it's in excellent focus. I appreciate that. Uh, and thanks for throwing a bottle cap in next to it because I can actually see how big the beetle is. That's one problem with photos sometimes if there's not something to show scale. That is an ironclad beetle. Uh, you can you can uh, find uh, ironclad beetles all around, and they are so hard. If you try to take your fingernails and crush that thing, you will not be able to. I mean, it's like they're made of iron. That's where the name comes from. They do, I believe they feed in, in trees. Their larvae, rather, feed in trees. Uh, so they're not a beneficial beetle for sure, but overall they're, they're not something we worry about treating for, the uh, ironclad beetles. So uh, thank you for that picture. I had a, also an email come in from Linda about, uh, let's see, some, oh, excuse me, we already answered that one, some squash plants. Um, that whenever you try to grow squash and pumpkins in the summer, by the way, uh, the biggest thing we deal with here is, number one, hot weather affects pollination uh, on some of the squash plants, but it also uh, brings on a lot of the diseases over time and then the squash vine borer, which takes things out. So uh, I was going to mention today that if you want pumpkins for uh, Halloween or just the fall decorating, uh, you need to plant them now. We're at the kind of toward the end of the time when we would get pumpkins in the ground. And it's because pumpkins can take like 120 days uh, from planting until you harvest them. Pumpkins are, I consider them a type of squash, uh, but there's some squash that we call summer squash and some we call winter squash, and it has nothing to do with the seasons. I wish they wouldn't name them that way. Uh, one time driving through a city in Texas in a show that will go unnamed, I heard the host say that winter squash grow in the winter, summer squash grow in the summer. Well, <laughs> no, no squash grows in the winter. Uh, summer squash, we eat them when they're young and immature, and that would be zucchini and yellow squash, patty pans. We eat those when they're very young and tender, before the seeds get big and before the skin gets hard. Winter squash, we let go all the way to maturity, and, and it you wouldn't be able to eat a zucchini at maturity, but some types of squash have very dense flesh, and that would be a butternut squash, or an acorn squash, or a spaghetti squash, or a pumpkin, or a kabocha squash. Those are all storage types of squash. They may keep two, three, or more months inside, and that's why they're called winter squash, which they should have just called them storage squash, but they don't ask me. So anyway, if, you, if you're planting squash and, and you want pumpkins like now is the time to get them in the ground, get them planted. Take good care of them. Watch for the vine borer. Uh, they, they spoil the show on a lot of different kinds of things. And uh, watch for foliage diseases, predominantly spots and powdery mildew. Because when the foliage is destroyed, which it will be over time, uh, then you have no carbohydrate production, and the fruit of the squash is all carbohydrates. So anytime you want fruit from a plant, whether it's a green bean, whether it's a tomato, whether it's a peach, or whether it's a pumpkin, you have to have a lot of leaf area that is very healthy. So the sunlight can shine on the leaf, plant makes carbohydrates, and then we get 
blooms and fruit and the things we're looking to get. Uh, our phone number is 979-845-5689, and we are going to go to the phones and talk to Mark. Hello, Mark. Uh, hi, Mr. Skip. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Great. I sent you an email, and uh, maybe you can see the pictures in there. All right. Let me it's go. regarding uh, about an 80-foot live oak tree in the backyard. Okay. Uh-huh. Well, go ahead and start telling me about it while I take a glance at this. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, it, <clears throat> it, <clears throat> it's been there probably 50 years or so. I had the tree trimmed, all the lower branches, the tree services that will help the trees survive because all the lower branches are drooping down. So they climbed up about the first 40 feet and limbed off all the lower branches. But then the last uh, uh, couple of weeks, I've seen uh, a crack there, a vertical crack at the base, about two or three feet, kind of a kind of a, a crack there that goes in a, an inch or so. Then there's another crack around the side of the tree that goes up, starts about two feet and goes up to about 10 feet. Maybe I've get, sent you photos of those correctly. Mm-hmm. And so the, also the tree is, it looks like it's leaning further to the south toward my fence line. Yeah. And uh, I, I, the, once again, I couldn't send the live leaves off the tree. I just took some that would fallen off. Okay, uh, so I'm looking through the photos. I haven't seen every one yet, uh, but I see what you're talking about. the The tree is some type of a white oak, a white okay. oak. It's not a live oak. It's not a. Okay. It doesn't look Who like knew? a bur oak to me. Yeah, it looks like some white type oak. of a white oak, and I specifically which kind I'm I'm not able to discern that without doing a little more research on it. But that that kind of doesn't matter. Um, the cracks in the trunk are not good probably they're the result of freeze damage. In February of 2021, we had the freeze that went down around 7 degrees. This past uh, December, we had a freeze that hit. It didn't get that cold, but it got very cold down in the teens. Uh, And Uh as a result, actually, we we lost a lot of plant tissues in the December freeze because they weren't ready for it. Trees normally have a slow cooling off period where they, uh, we say they harden off, meaning they get ready for winter. They store their carbohydrates and the equivalent of antifreeze in the tree's system. And then mm-hmm. when cold weather hits, they can take it. But if we have an early hard freeze and it's been mild weather going up to it, they're not ready. And a tree that which could have survived last year, which November was last, last Decem- year, December, we had we had that kind of freeze. Okay. And so I think that's probably what happened on this tree. Uh, it's a very large, very old tree. So there could be a lot of things uh, as trees get older. Uh, kind of like, like people, where they're not quite as resilient as they used to be, and so the uh, that could be part of what we're seeing. Hello, uh, I'm here. Uh, I'm sorry. I uh, that could be part of what we're seeing with your tree, uh, that it's just weakened. It doesn't heal as fast. It doesn't have the vigor that it it used to have when it was in its early stages. And so uh, I I think there's probably more than one thing going on. But the unfortunate thing is. None of it is something you can do anything about. Now, it, we've had a lot of 100-degree weather. Fortunately, mm-hmm. we had a fairly wet spring, so the soil had a lot of moisture in it And for a tree. Mm-hmm. for a tree, uh, Because the root, system, the root system of your tree is like twice the height of the tree in all directions. So if you can imagine that, that's a lot of soil to draw moisture from. Uh, so if we keep having 100 degrees and it doesn't rain, I would give a really good deep soaking to an area as wide as the branch spread or 
roughly what the branch spread would look like if it were standing up straight and, and whatnot. So that would mean an inch or two or two of water, uh, but just do that once. And if it keeps going for another two weeks and no rain, well, you can do it again. Uh, but you're just trying to keep the tree from going into severe drought stress. You're not trying to provide all yes, the water I, a tree would I've need. Been, I've been trying to water the base of the tree, but yeah. obviously I'm going to have to go further out. you got to go further out. If you can at least get out to the branch spread and maybe a third of the way beyond that, that would be ideal. Uh, you can't knock on your neighbor's two houses down and say, excuse me, I've got some tree roots in the backyard. Do you mind if I turn on your water? <laughs> that doesn't go no. over very well. No, seriously, yeah. the, the, uh, take care of the, the amount that you can and do it all around the tree uh, because roots on one side tend to feed that same side of the tree. So uh, that would be my mm -hmm. recommendation, Mark. Well, how will I know when the tree is, is terminal and is going to break in two. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a, a difficult roll of the dice uh, on that. And what I see right now on the tree, it does not concern me. It, it, was there a double trunk at the base of that tree uh, where someone cut off one of the trunks? <clears throat> no, sir. Not okay. That I know. All right. Well, it's just in one picture. I thought maybe I saw that. Uh, well, anyway, it, there's a pretty good crack. It's 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 pretty deep right down at the base. That's yeah. what concerns me. Well, so right now there's a lot of green foliage, and I think the tree looks pretty good. I, w I wouldn't be too concerned. If the cracks are narrow, the tree can form callus that closes back over that crack. Uh huh. So I wouldn't give up on it. If you want to hire an arborist to come out and take a look at it and uh, advise you on it, that would probably be a good idea. Uh, but right now, I'm not worried about it. Uh, over time... Yes, sir, I, go ahead. I, no, I'm sorry. I interrupted. Uh, over time, as moisture gets to the inner wood through that crack, decay sets in, just like if you laid a 2x4 on the ground and covered it with leaves. I mean, it's going to start to rot because it's staying moist. And so there's a within time there's a concern of it falling because it's leaning so much but i wouldn't worry about it in the next couple of months unless it, we just had a real freaky storm or something so if if the leaves all die off and go brown at once that's a time to worry yeah if it well that's a time to call an arborist uh, but it's pardon me i'd probably like to call one sooner than that okay yeah well, I, w I would. That, that's what I was saying a little bit earlier. Just have somebody come out and look at it, assess it, take well, a look. Well, that's who I was hoping to get a referral to. That you could, if you'd like to do that by email. Okay. Uh, did you contact me at the extension office? Have we had this part of this? Uh, I called you this morning. Yes. yes or at the extension, and then right. you okay. mentioned your radio show, and right. uh, so I got yeah, I was just trying to figure out if this was the same conversation. I've got uh, a list at the extension office of arborists in the area. You know, we try to uh -huh. avoid recommending a specific company. Uh, you know, we give you your options. And so I will forward this to my other email, and I will send you that list, okay? Wonderful. You have my email address to respond? Uh, in this email that you sent to the station, yes. Yeah, I sent one to the station and one to... Uh, uh, garden success. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, and one to your personal email. Right. Okay. We will, we will get you a list here as soon as possible. Okay. Wonderful. wonderful. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I'll get the sprinklers going in the backyard. All right. Have fun. Take care of that tree. Take care, sir. Thanks, doctor. Bye-bye. 
Thank, and thank you. And thank you for the honorary doctorate. That was so much cheaper and less work than if I had to earn it myself. I appreciate that very much. Now, I, it's a common mistake people make, just trying to be kind and respectful. And I thank you. Uh, let's see. We're going to go now to emails and look at an email from Raymond. And Raymond has a plant that he's looking for an identification on. And uh, boy, at the stage that it is, Raymond, I'm just not able to tell well. There are some oak trees, believe it or not, that have a similar looking leaf. If those leaves are real stiff and leathery, uh, that would be my first guess. But uh, from the distance it is, uh, it's just a little bit difficult to see. Uh, if you can get some other close-up photos, uh, maybe the tops and bottoms. I can see the tops of the leaves, but the bottoms give me an idea. I see a foot in the photo, so I can kind of get an idea how big those leaves are. But uh, Based on just what I see, I'm just not able to, to get any closer than that. Uh, we're going to go back to the phones. The number is 979-845-5689 and talk to Josh. Good afternoon, Josh. How are you? Hey, Skip. I'm doing good. Uh, I saw the question a little bit earlier about a Mexican white oak, and, you know, I got a tree that's having some trouble uh, as well. Okay. Uh, so it's uh, the Mexican white oak I got planted about three years ago. Uh, it was about 10 feet tall when I got it, so it was a pretty good size. Uh, now, what happened in the last two years uh, is about this time of summer, the leaf tips, they start turning brown. Yes. Uh, and slowly but surely, by the time I get to the end of the summer, uh, the, that brown grows to all the leaves. And now this is uniform in the whole tree, uh, and they start falling down. And uh, so I... I, I I've tried different things. I've tried some fungicides. I've tried a couple different pesticides. Uh, and I actually did have an arborist come look at it, but he wasn't able to tell me any diseases associated with it. Okay. All right. Well, let's take that on. Um, so you, since it's occurring all over the tree, uh, I think we're dealing with a problem in the root system. Most likely it is either a lack of water or it's the high sodium water that we have so much of around here uh, that could be building up over time. Uh, when, a, when did you, I'm sorry, I missed if you told me when you planted it? It was uh, in November of 2020, so a couple of years ago. Okay, so it's, it still has a fairly confined root system, and at the same time, it, it has had time to root in really well. So I, I would, uh, I would, probably lean toward it being a lack of soil moisture uh, because of the size of the root system at this point. Um, now, a good deep soaking would be helpful on an infrequent basis. You don't, people, people way overwater their yards and they water too, more, too often on the yard. And just putting a little squirt that keeps the grass happy uh, frequently is, number one, it's not good for the grass. But number two, it, it doesn't do the tree any good at all. So getting out to as wide of an area, maybe twice the size of the branch spread, but at least the branch spread of the tree, and giving it a good soaking. You can, If you have a rain gauge, stick it in the ground, and then you'll know how long it takes to catch an inch or two of water. If you don't, find a, a little straight-sided can, pinto beans, you know, tuna fish, cat food, those kind of cans, and set those around the yard, and, and that will be your rain gauge to know how long you need to run that sprinkler to give it the good soaking that I think it may need. Okay. And now, from what I know about where this tree is planted, and that it's in a clay soil, it gets, you know, I'd actually err on the side that it might be getting too much water. Okay. Uh, 
Well, um, if you if you feel pretty good about it not lacking water, uh, you know, it, it's unusual that it would get too much. If you just know that ground stays swampy, then I would consider the too much. But if in general you just know it's getting well watered, uh, then I, I, I wouldn't. Mexican white oak uh, is it's also... Um, um, What's the name for that? It's Quercus polymorpha. Oh, gosh, I can't think of the name. But anyway, Monterey oak. Uh, those yeah. those trees, uh, they don't want to be soggy wet, but they're pretty tough trees. They're a very, very resilient tree. And so uh, the only other thing well, I can Well, let me think... give you a little more, more story on it. It's actually when I first got the tree planted, I got those tree bags. They're those great big green bags that kind of wrap around the tree trunk. And... Right. And it, what it does is it slowly waters that ground and it allows it to spread a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and I did that for the whole first year. And somewhere in the second year, I said I saw those green brown tips and I said, well, I need to stop doing this. I'm overwatering it. Uh, and so I would do this cycle where I'd, I'd water it really deep. I'd let it dry out. Uh, but unfortunately, that kept coming back. And from I'm thinking it's kind of a bacterial issue, but I really can't find anyone any. I don't know how to confirm that. Well, it. it it could be a bacterial issue, but the bacteria would be inside the plant. We have some bacteria that cause diseases of grapes and oleanders and other plants by just building up in the plumbing of the plant. So it's 100 degrees outside. The tree is pumping water as fast as it can to stay cool. Uh, and if you've got bacteria gumming up the plumbing, that water can't flow like that and as a result you see things like leaf scorch which are typically on the tips and edges of the leaf and sometimes they come in between the major side veins so it's not just around okay. the edge but it can come in and so that could be a factor there's no curing that there's no treating that or anything so we just kind of have to make sure that the tree gets the water it needs since we know that the efficiency of getting water to the tree is reduced okay so i would I would be, I guess, I don't really hear anything to tell you to do uh, in, in your question. And so I, I would wait and watch if it's getting adequate water. Uh, avoid any overwatering that you can because, again, we do have high sodiums and high bicarbonates, and some species are more sensitive than others to that. And that could also be a factor to it. I see a lot of grass. Uh, well, let's see, you know, I, I'm looking at a different picture. Uh, if there's grass coming up to the tree that's competing, I would create a mulched area around it. But that's about okay. that's about it, you know, in terms of, of what we've discussed. Okay. Well, that's helpful. I'll, I'll keep waiting on it, and hopefully it uh, grows out of it. Okay. All right. Well, good luck with that. Thank you very Thank much. You. Appreciate the call. Our phone number is 979-845-5689, or by email at gardensuccess at tamu.edu. If you're going to send an email today, please do so in the next couple of minutes because um, uh, otherwise they'll be sitting for me to come back next week uh, to answer them, and I'd like to be able to get to them if at all possible. I uh, had a question come in from John uh, about a pecan tree. This is a volunteer pecan tree that then got moved, and it came up, and about waist high, it forks into two trunks. It makes a, a Y. Just think of it as like a giant slingshot-looking thing. Uh, you, he asks about which, uh, which branch do you take off. I would, I'll put it this way. It doesn't matter. 
Uh, now, if I were there looking at it, I would pick one that I think is a little, maybe one factor would be if one is pointing toward maybe the south-southwest, leave that one because that's a prevailing wind and so it would push it more upward than now you've got a plant leaning the wrong, you know, away from the wind and the wind is pushing it even further so you end up with a really leaning tree if you don't do something. But I would just take one or the other, but the sooner you do it, the better. Uh, because if you do it now, that thing will heal over, and by the by winter you won't you won't see the wood that was exposed when you made the cut. It'll have already closed over, uh, especially if you give it some water. And by the way, get that grass away from it, kill it with whatever, put mulch, uh, and uh, give that tree as much of a mulched area as you can. It will sure help it grow faster. Uh, that would be my recommendation. If you if it's going up really high and has no side branches above where I can see in the picture, then I would tip the end of the tall trunk. I would probably cut it back, you know, maybe oh, 12, uh, a foot or something like that and cause some side branches up there. You want to do that, though, pretty high because those branches would be your permanent scaffold branches on the pecan tree. And uh, when you... When you do that, if you start your scaffold branches at head high, then by the time they are giant limbs and you're trying to mow around it, you you know you can't get your mower underneath because they're sagging down and in the way. You hit your head on the limb when you walk around. So start the limbs up. Uh, just, just stand there and reach up as high as you can reach, and the first limbs ought to be about that high or a little higher uh, on the tree. So tipping it and getting those branches to start would be a good idea. I uh, hope that helps on that one. Uh, let's see, going back, I think we took care of most of the emails on that one. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about vegetable gardening. Uh, this is the summertime when most people think, well, you can't garden in the summer. Well, that's not true. Uh, there are things you can grow in the summer. I just mentioned that if you want pumpkins, now it's time to get them planted so that they're ready to harvest uh, when we think of pump, uh, being pumpkin season. If you have black-eyed peas you want to grow, or any of the southern peas like purple hull and crowder peas and zipper cream peas and uh, pink-eyed purple hull pea, pink-eyed peas, all of those uh, should be planted uh, in the summertime because they'll do really well. They'll do absolutely well for you. And, of course, the queen of the summer garden is okra. Okra is a wonderful summer vegetable. It's one of my favorite. I can hear the moans and groans. I think I heard someone say slimy. Shame on you for that. Okra is a wonderful plant. Uh, how could you have gumbo without okra? Absolutely not, right? So I know they make some people make gumbo without okra, but some misguided people from further north than Texas make chili in ways that are not chili. Okay, anyone from Texas knows they're not chili. But anyway, you get the idea. But okra is a great plant, uh, and I, I keep defending okra. I kind of feel like okra is the Rodney Dangerfield, if any of you remember him, of the plant world. It gets no respect, uh, but it's a great plant. The way I eat okra is we just pick the pods when they're young and tender. We brush olive oil on them, sprinkle some sea salt, and when I'm barbecuing, I'll throw them on the grill. Two minutes on one side, two minutes on the opposite side, and they're done. And you can eat them, and they're not slimy, and it's easy. Okra gets slimy when the interior of the pods touch water. And so if you're wanting to thicken a soup, well, that's a good thing. If you're wanting to put it, you know, in, in something you're eating, and it's you don't want it slimy, well, then it's not considered a good thing. Anyway, okra. 
Good plant for right now. There's a lot of summer greens that do well. Malabar greens do well at this time of the year. There's something called Egyptian spinach. It's not spinach, but whenever we have a green that we don't know what to call it, we put the word spinach in it. That's why we have Egyptian spinach. That's why we have Malabar spinach. That's why we have what else is not spinach called spinach. Anyway, you get the idea. Uh, amaranth greens. There is a large leaf amaranth that grows well in the summer. Any farmer can tell you amaranth grows well. <laughs> And uh, we eat it for the leaves, and it does does super well. And then there's other things. Sweet potatoes grow in the heat of summer. So you get the idea. We can garden all summer. You just have to be able to water the garden regularly because these plants are tough, but they're, they're, they have to be hydrated in order to survive. And so if you're able to water a garden, get out early in the day when it's cooler and get a little bit of gardening work done. If you've got a garden that you're abandoning because you know, spider mites and diseases and summer drought and everything else and you not wanting to leave the air conditioning are all playing in, in on that, then go out there, get all the old plants out and cover it with any kind of mulch you can get your hands on. I use leaves that I collect in the leaf season and then kind of store out of the way, out of the sunlight and use them in the summer. Give it a good blanket of mulch and leave it there. That way, when you get ready to plant your fall garden, you just pull the mulch back and you're not having to go through the weeding problem at that time because you, you put the garden to bed for summer uh, in a good way. Uh, if you want more information on when to plant vegetables, maybe you're new here or new to gardening here, you can go to the Master Gardener website, the Brazos Master Gardener website, or stop by the AgriLife Extension Office uh, and ask for the vegetable planting chart, okay? The vegetable planting chart. And it's a, uh, the way you know you got it is it's a chart with green bars all the way across it. And we created it in order to um, be able to um, guide people in the best time to plant. So you'll see green bars going across. It's an okay time. And then dark green bars, that's a good time, the best time and so on. By the way, the uh, Brazos County Master Gardener's website is brazosmg.com. Can't get any simpler than that. Brazosmg.com. When you're there, there's a button for Central Texas Gardening, uh, and uh, you will, uh, let's see, what else? can You can find all kinds of good stuff on that website. But when you get in there and look at the edible gardening, you'll find the chart right there where you can download it. You know, that's the, that is the nice thing, being able to just download it and boom, you've got it ready to go. It's called the Vegetable Planting Dates for Brazos County. And so you can find it online and just download it yourself. A really good guide. And what you'll notice when you look at it is most things are spring and fall. And there's a few things that can cross over uh, the, the, uh, the seasons and go through the summertime as well. In the vegetable garden, uh, this is a time when spider mites tend to take off. And if you're not sure if you have spider mites, and they, I say vegetables, but they attack a lot of things. If you have angel's trumpet, brugmansia, uh, if you have junipers uh, of different types, uh, arborvitae, those kinds of things, they attack those. And uh, they essentially ch uh, suck all the green chlorophyll out of the leaf, and so it turns white. So it gradually is, first it's really speckled green, and then then it turns almost white as they, as they finish the job. And if you don't know what they look like, get a white piece of paper, like a little piece of paper out of your printer, and go out and put it underneath a leaf that you're wondering if has spider mites, and thump the leaf really hard with your fingers. Just pop it, and 
Then look at the paper, and if there are spider mites on that leaf, especially enough to be a problem, you'll see these little tiny specks, like you dusted pepper that was kind of brownish-red color, and they're crawling all around very slowly. You see them moving around. That's spider mites, and that's a sign to do something. Now there's insecticide, or excuse me, miticides that you can use to control them, but what I do is I just get a spray of water and blast the bottom of the leaves, just spray upward from under the leaves and it blasts them right off. Plus, when you get them wet, it really messes them up. They have fungal diseases that get on them and other things. But I just blast them off. You just have to do that about once every couple of weeks, and as long as you don't have the problem. I'll usually do it one day and then come back next the next day and do it again just because I always miss a few. Uh, and it's amazing how well that works. And you can't get less toxic than water, so that is probably the easiest way uh, to handle those. Uh, if you uh, are a listener to Garden Line, please tell your friends about Garden Line. This is a show that is for a garden success. Thank you. I did it again. Thanks. Sorry about that. Uh, tell your friends about Garden Success. You can uh, email us at gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Uh, they can call us, but we're also available by podcast. So if you, whatever your podcast supplier is, look for Garden Success with Skip Richter, and you can listen to past shows. Maybe you missed something. You can also go to the KAMU-FM website, and you can there click on the past shows and listen to the one, the recent shows that we've done. Maybe I mentioned a product or something, and you're kind of wanting to, what was that again? Well, that's the way you do it. Thanks for being a listener. Had a great time. We'll be back next Thursday from noon to 1, as every Thursday here on Garden Success on KAMU-FM 90.9. You've been listening to Garden Success with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Join us again next week as Skip discusses your questions about gardening and landscaping in the Brazos Valley.